Welcome to the Servants of Grace podcast hosted by Dave Jenkins. Our podcast exists to provide trustworthy expository messages through the Bible and faithful answers to your theology questions. Now for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, welcome back to the Servants of Grace podcast. My name is Dave and I'm the host for this show. And on today's episode, we're going to continue our series through the book of Psalms. Looking today at Psalm 63 and thirsting for God. Would you please join me now in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is true. And that every word that comes out of your mouth from the word of God that is pinned down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is for our good. It is for our life and for our godliness. By it, we are trained to walk in the way of the Lord. And so, Lord, as we look at this great text before us today, Lord, we acknowledge that in this world there is tribulation, there is trials, there are difficulty, there are difficult people and situations, and under the hand of your providence, you are using even those things for our good and for our glory. So, Lord, help us today to grow in the grace of God, even in the midst of suffering and trial, no matter where we are, Lord, may you use this time together in the word to encourage our hearts to refresh us in the Lord Jesus. And Lord, we just will just give you the praise and the honor and the glory due to your name alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Psalm 63. Psalm 63 says this. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary. Beholding your power and glory because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouth of liars will be stopped. This is the reading of God's holy word. You know, trials, they have a way of challenging us. They have a way of exposing our hearts and where we are at with the Lord. You know, we've all gone through many trials, some of which are more painful. Maybe you lost recently a family member, or you lost a dear mentor, or on and on it goes. Or maybe, sadly, you're experiencing financial challenges and difficulty, or some personal or relational strife. We've all gone through many things. And in James 1, 2 through 3, what James does is he doesn't minimize the pain of life or the reality of it but he challenges us he challenges our perspective in the midst of life when he says to consider it pure joy brothers when you face trials of many 
kinds. Jesus in John 16, says, In this world you will have tribulation. Now, as we come to our psalm, Psalm 63, the superscription reads that David was in the wilderness of Judah. And so we might be talking about David's fleeing years here from the malice of King Saul, except in verse 11, he describes himself as the king. And so if Psalm 63 was written during David's kingship, then the only likely setting is a revolt of his own son Absalom, which forced David to flee from Jerusalem into the barren Judean desert. This was a time when it seemed that he might lose everything, his kingship, his reputation, perhaps even his life. And yet, far from complaining about his betrayal, David instead turned his heart to God and rejoiced to know that the Lord is all that he needed for life and eternity. And realizing this, David devoted his prayer to seeking God, finding satisfaction in the Lord, and resolving to hold fast to the Lord's steadfast love that is better than life in Psalm 63.3. In fact, Psalm 63 begins with one of the great lines in the Psalms, expressing the very heart of true religion in verse 1 when it says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. John Christendom in Constantinople, the great preacher of the early church, said that the spirit and soul of the whole book of Psalms is uh, contracted into this psalm and its opening declaration, he says. And so using the intense thirst for the dehydrated body as an analogy, David expresses his sincere desire to experience the presence of God. He laments not only the danger to his political position or even to the threat to his life, but his forced separation from the sanctuary where the Lord God is to be worshipped. To be distant from the house of the Lord is spiritually to journey as in a dry and weary land where there is no water, as verse 1 says. And by saying that his soul thirsts and his flesh faints for God, David means that his whole being longs for communion with the Lord. And in this way, David describes the predicament of the entire human race since the fall in the garden, as well as of every single person since the fall in the garden. Our problem is that without communion with God, we are lifeless, we're barren, we're dissatisfied, alienated from God, we find life to be like the Judean desert, weary and dry. Jesus once sat beside a well and pointed to the stagnant water within, symbolizing the meager sources of earthly life and pleasure. In John 4:13, he says, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But in contrast, he says in verse 14 of John 4, Everyone who drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life, he says. You see, the Christian realizes that Jesus offers a life that flows from the entire Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus prayed this in John 17, 3, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Martin Lloyd-Jones, therefore, observes that the desire for an intimate knowledge of God the Father is the biggest and the most important thing in the Christians' lives. It is of greater importance to them than anything whatsoever. In fact, Christians long, as Paul said, to gain Christ and be found in Him in Philippians 3, 8-9, and to be filled with the Spirit in Ephesians 5, 18. 
And so we should ask ourselves whether we possess such a thirst for the triune God. Do I, do you, long and desire to know better the love of God the Father? Do I seek a closer discipleship with Jesus? Do I crave a stronger experience of the Holy Spirit in my life? Psalm 63 reminds us of the priority that is expressed throughout the scriptures, apart from which we are merely dabbling in religion. Jesus taught in Matthew 6:33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he concludes the Sermon on the Mount's teaching on the godly life. Paul attested for, for to me to live as Christ in Philippians 1:21, when weighing all the other benefits of life in this world. He counted all else as loss compared with the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord in Philippians 3.8 and urge us to be filled with all the fullness of God in Ephesians 3.8.19. And as scripture sees it, if we permit our desire for communion with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to be crowded out by earthly priorities, we deeply impoverish our souls. It is because of our interest in spiritual things that wanes that God sends trials into our lives as David experienced in Psalm 63. After all, David's own son rebelled and drove him as a fugitive into the wilderness. And David responded in the way that we should respond to trials, not merely wanting to recover earthly blessings we have lost, but turning our hearts anew to God in faith. Martin Lloyd-Jones writes, like David, the true Christian is always driven by adversity to God. Other people become embittered by loss or suffering, but the true believer does the exact opposite. The immediate reaction of a believer in a time of trouble is to draw near to God. And with this in mind, the Christian should view times of struggle or sorrow as a call to be more attentive to the things of God, to the reading and studying and meditating and memorizing of the word, of prayer and attendance in the corporate worship of the local church. You see, like David, we must learn that our real problem is not that God allows painful trials, but that we need such prompting to turn our hearts to the Lord where they belong. In this way, our response to trials is a test of the sincerity and the reality of our faith. In the parable of the soils, Jesus pointed out a kind of believer who rejoices in good times, but when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away in Matthew 13, 21. The true believer, however, grows more fervent in faith during trials, saying with David, O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you, as we see in Psalm 63, verse 1. And when David sought the Lord, he was quickly able to declare that his soul had found satisfaction. This is the point of Psalm 63, 2-5, which concludes with joy, David's joyful declaration in Psalm 63, 5. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. Now, first, David fondly remembers his previous visits to worship the Lord. In Psalm 63, 2, he says, So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. And it's important to realize that neither the tabernacle nor the temple attempted to provide a literal picture of God, since, as Jesus explained, God is spirit in John 4, 24. It said the worship symbolically presented a doctrinal knowledge of God. God was revealed in his holiness as seen in the shedding of blood for the remission of sin at the altar of sacrifice. 
God was revealed in his mercy and grace as he made provision for his sinful people to dwell in his presence. Now, David specifically mentions God's power and glory, which would be represented by the golden lampstand, the table of the showbread, the golden altar of incense, and even the lavish decorations of the, ta- of the tabernacle and the eye-catching garments of praise that we see in Exodus 36 through 40, all of which exhibit God's majesty as creator and redeemer. And it's possible that David had even seen the glory cloud of the Lord dwelling in the holy place. And because of David's prior experience, he was enthusiastic about being present in and with the Lord's people in his sanctuary. And yet we need to realize that Christians possess today an even more potent revelation of the power and glory of God in the word. And when we realize what it truly means to join with heavenly praise to the risen Christ at the right hand of God the Father, we are reminded why we should at least be excited about church today as David was under the old covenant. Hearing the scriptures read and preached and seeing the gospel drama and the sacraments, we look on God's power for our salvation and his glory as the one who alone is worthy to be praised. And as long as he was in exile, David was no longer able to worship at the tabernacle. And still, he was not hindered in experiencing the blessing of God's presence. Thinking about what he had learned about God, he resolved to worship the Lord right there in the desert so that through his faith, the wilderness became spiritually fruitful. What a valuable example David provides to afflicted believers today. What he says in verse 3 of Psalm 63, Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So much for the dry and the weary land of his soul. David has sought the Lord and the love of God and lifted up his heart to him. How about you today? I started out our study today talking about, you know what, maybe today you're facing trial or or a situation. Uh, How are you responding? Are you like David in the midst of this situation? Are you praising God? You know what, if not, ask God to change the disposition of your heart today. Ask him to lead you to, to the place where you can praise him or remember his goodness towards you. Remember all the many ways in which he continues to provide for you. You have a home. You have, if you have a family, if you have a wife, if you have a husband, well, obviously if you're a man, you would have a wife. And if you're a wife, you would have a husband, but maybe you also have kids. Be thankful for that. There's so many things. If you run down the list, think about it, your, your home, your, your, your children, if you have them, uh, parents, uh, food in your house, energy, uh, money in your bank account, on and on and on. Um, remember, that is a, the goodness of God to you. And, it, and if that doesn't help, think about this. If you have good health, that's from the Lord. If, if you can breathe today, if, you, if, the, if your brain cells are functioning and you're able to listen to this, that is a gift from God and on and on and on. And what this should do is it should cause us to realize the many ways in which we fail to praise the Lord in the midst of the situations of our lives. And we need our perspective realigned with God's word so that we will lift up our hearts to the Lord. 
And now David's adoration for the Lord is expressed by the beautiful statement, your steadfast love is better than life in verse 3. You know, everyone agrees that life is precious. People will do almost anything to save their lives. They will hand over their wallet to a robber or endure a fearful medical operation to increase their years. They will even sacrifice a limb to preserve a life. But David, having come to know the Lord, declares that God's love is worth more than life itself. Unlike others, David does not does not consider his life to be his chief good. Rather, he prizes supremely the eternal blessing of God's faithful covenant mercy and love. James Boyce says God's love is steady and unchanging, which is why it is better than even the best thing in life, which is life itself. Life itself can be lost even though we value it and try to protect it at all costs. However, the covenant love of God can never be lost. And Paul reasoned along these lines, rejoicing to declare in Romans 8, 38-39, I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Murdoch Campbell offers an example of how the love of God in Christ is greater than any other love we may cherish. A godly woman, he says, had lost both her husband and her only child and was now drawing near to death. Her family members had been fervent Christians and she was confident that they had gone to heaven. And with this in mind, a friend sought to encourage her, saying, Soon you will see them both. The woman answered Jesus first. For a Christian, thoughts of heaven include many heart-stirring delights. And yet our true hope, our highest joy, is the anticipation of coming to Jesus and seeing God face to face in his power and glory. And meditating on this love that is better than life, David rejoices in verse 5 of Psalm 63, saying, My soul will be satisfied as with rich fat and food. And to an ancient Israelite, the fat portions represented the best and the richest foods, which tastes all the better to the one who has come to the table famished. Not only is David discontented with with only God's love to fill him, but he also sees the Lord's covenant faithfulness as a rich banquet from which he will derive pleasures for his soul. And if we think in terms of the worship of the tabernacle that David recalled, we too can derive rich satisfaction from what is revealed about God's love. In, In the holy place was the shining gold lampstand, which symbolized the light of God's loving countenance to shine on us in the darkness. The altar of incense stood for the love by which God promised to receive and answer the prayers of his people. The table of showbread symbolized how God lovingly provides for all the needs of those who call on his name. Most importantly, it's because of God's love that believers are forgiven. They stand justified in the presence of God. So the sacrifices of sheep, of bulls, and goats at the tabernacle symbolize the great love of God to provide atonement for our sin. These sacrifices pointed forward to the coming of Christ. John 1.29 says, The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and whose cross provides a banquet of rich satisfaction for the believing soul. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. John 15.13 says, Greater love has no one than this, Jesus said, that someone lay down his life for his friends. John wrote in 1 John 4.10, in this is love that we have loved, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. 
And so to believe in the saving work of Jesus, perceiving the loving heart of the Father who sent him, and the loving hands of the Savior who bewore our sins, is to be satisfied in the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Whenever our soul is satisfied in the love of God, it always wants to praise him. In fact, David does this in Psalm 63, 4. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. And so as David's trials cast him upon the merciful love of God, he was not made sullen but satisfied. Possessing only God, he was moved to praise the Lord, even if he lost everything else in the world. And David realized, as we should, that it is God's gift of himself that alone matters. Far above the anything of lesser value, earthly gifts that God is often pleased to provide. And having found satisfaction in God's love, David cries out in Psalm 63, 3-4, My lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. So the first three sections of this psalm in Psalm 63 are linked by David's reference to his soul. First, David's soul seeks and thirsts for God in verse 1. And as a result of finding God's presence, David then rejoices that his soul will be satisfied in verse 5. And finally, he resolves, my soul clings to you in verse 8. As, David, as God upholds David's life. And in this progression, David shows how the soul that seeks God's presence will become satisfied in the Lord. And then resolves to secure itself to God for blessing and life. If we ask how seriously we should seek for God, David answers in verse 1, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. Now many translations have rendered earnestly as early. The King James Version reads, Early will I seek thee. And the reason for this connection is that the Hebrew word for seek is derived from the, from the word for dawn. The earnest seeker for God will, will seek him early as the first priority of the day. This was a devotional example of Jesus during his earthly life, and it's how we trace David's example in this psalm. William Plummer observes, This is a reason why the saints of all ages have so uniformly found it good to give their earliest thoughts to sacred things. And he goes so far as ask, Was there ever a truly devout man whose devotions uniformly began not till hours after he had been awake? That's the problem with many Christians today. Having sought satisfaction in the world, they've lost their appetite for spending time with God. Rather than understanding what they need the most to be satisfied in the Lord, is to be satisfied in the sufficient revelation that God has provided in His Word. And out of that, that's why they read and study and meditate and even memorize the Word and why they do life with God's people and why they sit under sound preaching of the Word. And instead, they are so satisfied by the latest sports score, the latest sports team. They know all sorts of facts, and yet they forget that what they need the most, like they need water and food, is they need the Word of God. And perhaps you find that it's hard to motivate yourself to spend significant time seeking the Lord in the morning. The thing to do is to act in faith by starting each day in personal Bible study, meditation, and prayer. Psalm 63 promises that if you'll begin seeking God by faith, your heart will be warmed in the satisfaction that God gives so that what may first have seemed a dreary chore will become the time when your soul eats the fat, the rich portions around the table of God. Jeremiah 29:13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. 
And having sought for the Lord earnestly and found satisfaction in his presence, David resolves to secure himself to God for the future. In verse 8 of Psalm 63, he says, My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. The picture here is that of a child who reaches to take his or her parent's hand, even as the parent reaches down to take hold of the child. The New King James Version translates this as, My soul follows close behind you. Both ideas are involved, clinging firmly and following closely. In fact, to describe this close discipleship, David turns to discuss the night hours. In verses 6 through 7, he says, I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. We saw this in Psalm 55, that David established set times of the day for prayer, including morning, noon, and evening. His faith was established uh, by this practice so that he not only started the day by seeking after God, but then concluded by singing to the Lord in prayerful meditation of God's word. The fruit of this earnest daily devotional life is seen in David's ability to sing for joy during one of the greatest trials of his life. He explains that it is in the shadow of your wings that he will sing for joy in Psalm 63, 7. You see, through God's word, through meditation, through prayer, David kept himself close to the Lord and thus was strengthened to keep finding his satisfaction in God. If a man such as David found it necessary to cling to God in the dry and the weary land in which he was sojourning, how much more important is it for us to do in the same culture that is hostile to truth and to godliness? Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you in Hebrews 13.5. And so believers should not fear. We should be instructed by the example of David to live close to the Lord, to keep short accounts before him, to seek him, and to find satisfaction through our communion with the Lord so that we will experience peace under his wings and rejoice in giving praise to his name. It seems almost incidental that David concludes Psalm 63 with confidence in God to restore his outward circumstances, along with his inward spiritual renovation. And yet, when we seek him in earnest faith, God promises not only to provide us with soul satisfaction, but to take care of us on our way of life. And when Jesus told us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he went on to promise that all these earthly things will be added to you in Matthew 6:33, Paul directed us to the death of Christ as proof of the divine love that is better than life. The same loving God who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all will graciously give us all things, Romans 8.32 says. And so Paul writes to the Philippians that my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus in Philippians 4.19. This is exactly what David understood about the revolt of his son Absalom. Those who seek to harm God's people will end up harming only themselves. Those who seek to destroy my life shall go into the depths of the earth, Psalm 63, 9. Those who persist in assailing God's people shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals, Psalm 63, 10 says. This is precisely what happened to Absalom's army when they finally met in battle against David's supporters. The traitors were defeated and their bodies lay in great heaps to feed scavenger animals, as we see in 2 Samuel 18, 1 through 18. And David ended up praising the Lord for this deliverance and the silencing of those who mocked him and ridiculed him. In Psalm 63, 11, he says, But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. As some scholars regard these violent verses as a blemish on an otherwise beautiful and uplifting psalm. 
And for this reason, some would also assert that the final three verses were tacked on to David's psalm by some later editor. And what these critics fail to realize, however, is that God's saving work not only satisfies the soul of his people, but also saves them from the enemies who would destroy them in the world. James Boyce comments that these final verses remind us that this is a real world after all. And if we are genuinely satisfied with God's love, it must not be in some never, never land, but right here in the midst of this world's disappointment, frustrations, and danger. See, the Lord was not offering David a carefree life any more than the Bible promises an easygoing existence to Christians today. But God does promise to keep our souls safe from deadly assault in this world, bringing us safely through life to the glories awaiting us in heaven. Psalm 121, 7-8 says this, The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. And so David's ending into Psalm 63 concludes and calls uh, for us to ask where we stand in the spiritual progression that he describes. Are you seeking after God, trusting in the promises of his word? If you are, Jesus assures you that of your satisfaction in him. He invites you to ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you in Luke 11:9. Have you previously made the mistake of seeking satisfaction in the things of this world, the dry and weary land where there is no water, as we see in Psalm 63.1? If so, then turn anew to the steadfast love of God that is better than life, of which we see in Psalm 63.3, which will satisfy your soul forever. Or are you one who opposes God's rule, entirely rejecting God's moral authority, and despising God's proffered love? Then realize that justice is the other side of the coin of the covenant love of God. God has made his covenant with his people. All of us are either bound by it or rebels against it. And God will be exalted however we seek, either seeking for him or seeking against him, being satisfied in his steadfast love or having our mouths shut in his covenant uh, keeping justice. David shows us that if we turn and seek God as he has revealed himself first at the tabernacle and then more perfectly in Jesus Christ, we will find in him all that we need. And even if we lose everything else, as might have happened to David, we will gain everything by saying, oh God, you are my God. He will satisfy us with his love, uphold us with his hand, vindicate our names forever. If we're wise, we will seek him early, earnestly pursuing the love that is better than life. Well, what a, what a great psalm this is. What an encouragement this is, especially if you're going through times that seem really hard, which, you know what, many of us are. Whether that's financial challenges, we might be going through marriage challenges or personal challenges or work challenges, or maybe you're facing uh, the death of a family member due to a debilitating disease like I am in the case of both of my parents. All of us have things in our lives. God is using those things under his hand of providence to help us to grow to be more like Christ. That's not a bad thing. That's what God wants to do. The situations and the circumstances of your life are not beyond the gaze of God. 
See, our Lord, he sees them. He knows them. And he cares about you on account of Christ. And because if you are his and he is yours, you are signed and sealed in the love of God. You have been sealed if you are in Christ by the Holy Spirit. And you are indwelled by the Spirit. And that is a wonderful thing. And God is using the word, the word of God. The Holy Spirit is using the word in your life to help you to conform to be more and more like Christ. And can we be honest? Sanctification, it hurts, right? It hurts. It hurts when you go through suffering and trials and difficulty, especially when those are personal and they're hard. And yet we have Psalms like this to remind us that we are not to look only to our, be concerned only about the things that are going on in our lives. In the midst of the stuff in life, we are to turn our hearts to the Lord again and again and again and again and be reminded that you know what the lord is good he is worthy to be praised you know what there are times even fairly recently where i've struggled to do this and i've needed to take myself in the hand as lloyd jones would say in his book spiritual depression and i've had to take myself in the hand and remind myself again and again and again of God's goodness, of his grace, of his mercy, of his kindness, of his love, of his beauty, of his glory. And this is a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. Because the more that we remind ourselves of these things, the more the the painted glories, as John Owen said, will fade away. And we'll see the glory of Christ. We'll know the glory of Christ. And that is what is so tragic about people, Christians, who pursue worldly ideology, who pursue worldly entertainment, first and foremost, over being satisfied in the love of God. They know all sorts of facts about all sorts of things. And yet, what about the Bible? What about treasuring Scripture more than you treasure anything else because it is of infinite worth and value to you? And God desires to use the word of God in your life to help you to be more and more conformed into the image of Jesus. In fact, that's what God is doing as you're reading, as you're studying, as you're meditating on the word, as you're hearing the word taught to you. What the Holy Spirit is doing is he's doing the the fruits of the producing even more of the fruits of the spirit in you. Galatians 5, 22 through 23 Love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, and self-control. And can we be honest, for, for many of us, that, that gentleness and that patience thing, um, ouch, painful. It's painful, it's hard to deal with difficult people because they rub up against our flesh. They're what I call sandpaper people. And sandpaper, you know, is used to grind out imperfections. And and these people are being used to smooth us over, to make us more like Christ. See, even even the difficult situations, the difficult trials, under the hand of God, God is using even those things for our good and for our joy. Many people say today that God is not doing that. That when I go through those painful things, it hurts so much and it seems that God is so far away. And yet that's a scriptural and a theological impossibility. 
Because David declares in Psalm 38 that, that God is near to the brokenhearted. Are you brokenhearted in the midst of your affliction, in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your struggle? Call out to the Lord. He sees you. He knows you. Ask God to mend your broken heart on account of Christ. Don't you know that God cares? Uh, this is the Lord who said in John 10 that he leaves the 99 and he goes after the one lost sheep. In Luke 19.10, he said that uh, Luke says that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus, Matthew 1.21 says, came under the sentence of death to pay for our sins in the incarnation. I mean, how much more can God show you that he cares about you? And even Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in, in Matthew 6 says and talks about this very thing, about how much he cares about you, how much he provides for you. Remember these things. Take yourself by the hand and tell yourself the truth. Do not believe the lies. 2 Corinthians 10.4 says that we're to take every thought captive into the obedience of Christ. Remind yourself again and again and again. That's why Hebrews 13.13 Hebrews 13, 13 tells us that we're to remind each other, well, today is today. That means not only do you need to be remind, remind yourself, but you need to remind fellow Christians in your local church about these things. That means that not only do I have a need to be in the Word and reading and studying and memorizing and hearing the Word preached, but the reason for that is so that I can be an encouragement and of use to other people in my local church. I can be of use to my spouse. I can be of use to children if I have them. I can be of use to my family and friends and other people around me, telling them the truth about Christ, about their sin, about their need for Christ, or their ongoing need of Christ and the grace of God. And on and on we could go, friends. But the main thing to camp on here today is to remember what David does. He doesn't dwell on his circumstances. He doesn't dwell on the things of life what he does instead is he reminds himself he reminds himself of the glory of god in christ and he praises the lord that is the response that you and i should have in the midst of suffering in the midst of trials we should be praying lord what are you teaching me through this how, how are you teaching me more about love and joy and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control? What are you teaching me? How are you humbling me? How are you growing me through this? That's why we need one another to help us. Even asking our spouse if you're married the question, what do you see that needs to change about me in this situation? Because it's not first and foremost that other person if you're in, an, in a conflict that needs to change, it's what, you does, what needs to change about you. These are opportunities for you to grow, for the Lord to address your own heart, for you to grow to be more like Christ. In fact, that's what it means to be humble, to be teachable. You know, this is, this is so important. There's so much to say about this. But praise the Lord. He is good. His mercy endures forever to a thousand and ten million billion generations. Trust the Lord. Praise the Lord. Recount all the works of the Lord. Recount the many ways in which he's been good to you. And then see, as you do that, if your heart doesn't change, 
and your heart isn't filled with thankfulness, with gratitude, and, and then see if you don't praise the Lord. Because if you're indwelt by the Spirit, if you're His and He is yours, if by reminding yourself of these things over and over again, I, I, I can tell you that, that there's many times when I've done this. Sometimes daily. And what ends up happening is my heart begins to thaw. I begin to remember all the ways the Lord has been thankful, been great to me and good to me. And my mouth is filled with his praise. Let's pray. Father, we are just reminded today of our great need of Christ and the great Christ that alone can meet our need. And so, Lord, we are so thankful for your grace, for your mercy, not because we're so good, but because Christ is so good but because Christ is sufficient. And so, Lord, if we're going through a trial, if we're going through a painful trial, through a painful affliction, especially, I pray, Lord, that we would take ourselves by the hand and we recount the many ways in which God has been good to us. And may you take that, the goodness of God towards us, both in the past and in the present, and in the future, yet future, Lord, and lead our hearts to be satisfied and to be thankful, to be content in the Lord who is good. And may our mouths sing your praises. May they be like David. May we recount the, the many ways in which the Lord is good. And, and Lord, even as we do that, we're reminded that th this doesn't change the difficult circumstances but what it does do is it changes our perspective to them. And that's what we see in this psalm. So Lord, may you do this in our lives by your spirit, through the preaching of your word, for the honor of Christ, for the glory of your name, for the good of your people, for the strengthening of your church, that we might make disciples who make disciples and walk alongside one another, bearing each other's burdens, comforting one another, in love for the honor and glory of Christ. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Thank you for listening to the Servants of Grace podcast today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, leave a rating on the app, and share our episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to, you can follow us on Instagram at Servants of Grace, on Twitter at Servants of Grace, or by searching Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this podcast on the front page of our website at servantsofgrace.org.